Man, it is so good to see all of you. And let me say good morning to those of you who are streaming. They told me as I walked up, 130 households are watching this message right now from home. So we want to welcome you. And you say, wait a minute, Ken, like, how do you know we're streaming? Because um, we can see you through your webcam. Like, we can see you and you can see us. I'm kidding. Don't cover up. We can't see you. Russia can. We can't. Um, But we're really glad that you're with us. Here's the deal I want to make with those of you who are streaming. Um, We're glad that you got a chance to be a part of our service because you stayed home today because of the ice storm. Um, But if you decide to leave your house and beat us to the restaurant, that's not going to sit well with us. So just stay home now. Um, You've made your decision. Cuddle up and get warm, um, and we'll see you next week. For the rest of you, man, I'm so glad um, that that you're here today, and I'm so excited you're here. I realized this week that I'm finally beginning to have a little bit of a biblical soundtrack um, to my life. Say, what do you mean by that, a biblical soundtrack? Like, all of us have kind of a soundtrack of our youth that just surfaces from time to time, and I'm glad at 38 that I'm beginning to make everyday decisions, like, through the lens of the Bible without having to really think about it, because, like, from the age of 14, my soundtrack has been from Dumb and Dumber, not from Scripture. Let me give you an example of that. I'm talking to Pastor Scott yesterday. He's, like, our resident weatherman on staff, um, and I said, Scott, what, you know, what's it look like for Sunday? Um, and he was looking at the forecast and he said, man, Christian, if, if it, if it stays above 30, like if it doesn't get into the upper twenties, if it stays above 30, um, it could be close. And I said, so you're saying there's a chance. Like, that's what I mean by like a soundtrack. Everyone in their thirties and forties gets it. Everybody else is like, I, you know, I don't understand. Um, and, and I'm glad we had rain instead of ice. Um, so that this weekend could totally redeem itself and we could have church. That's what I mean by like a soundtrack of just, you just kind of spit stuff from Seinfeld or from your favorite movie or from your favorite song. I'm beginning now to make decisions through the lens of the Bible. So I started thinking this week. What is it going to be like if we have church and no one shows up? Like, what's it going to be like if, like if we come to church and I get up to preach, but there's no one there? And I immediately thought, well, now I know how James felt. Because as we look into the book of James, and that's where we're going to be today. So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of James, um, or you can fire up our app on your phone so that you can follow along. Uh, If you are streaming with us today, there's a little section in the right-hand corner that says notes. If you pop that up, everything that's on our screens today will be there for you to follow along. Um, But as we get to the book of James, James was a book written to a church that didn't show up. Let me give you some quick info on who James is. Take your sermon notes out of the back of your bulletin so that you can follow along today. Um, James was the brother of Jesus. He was his oldest younger brother, if that makes sense. Jesus was the oldest in his family. James came next. Um, James became the pastor of the first Christian church at Jerusalem. As we look through the book of Acts, we see James leading that church that began on the day of Pentecost. Um, And James, we think, is the first book written in the New Testament, like from a historical standpoint. Galatians and James were written earlier than every other book. And I thought about James this week because I thought about this Sunday. And in Acts 11 and 12... Um, Herod, who was over Judea, started arresting and killing disciples. He had a disciple named James, different guy than this one, um, whose brother was John, who one of his best friends was Peter, um, arrested and beheaded. Everyone thought that was really cool, so he then arrested Peter and John and put them in prison um, as well. And in Acts 12, we see a miraculous escape of Peter out of prison. But the church got so freaked out that Christians were being arrested that they left. They just all left town. So James showed up to preach one day, and he showed up to his church, and no one was there. So instead of preaching his sermon, 
He wrote a book and he sent it to a church that would never come back. He literally, James is a sermon written to a church that would never gather and have church again to try to teach them how to live for Jesus outside um, the structure of being able to come to church every Sunday. And as I began to look at this Sunday specifically, I began to look at James. And I want to read James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 with you today, and then tell you why I'm preaching this message and where we're heading as we get into ministry this month. It says, James, 2,000 years ago when you wrote a letter, you put your name at the front of the letter, not the end. So this letter is not written to James. It's written by James. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered. Circle or underline the word scattered. They were gone. They weren't coming back. Scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and my sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let me stop there and ask a question that verse 4 forces us to ask. Would you describe your faith in its current state, January 15, 2017? Would you say that your faith is mature and complete and it doesn't lack anything? Because I would not. I mean, I read this verse and I think, man, I want what James is talking about. James says, you have the ability to get to a place in your life where your faith is mature and it's complete and it doesn't lack anything. You know, we are kicking off at our church this month a series called Mood Swingers, which is all about finding emotional health. It's all about getting off the emotional roller coaster that doesn't leave margin for the things that are most important in life. Um, And as I started thinking about that message that I had planned to kick off this series this week... And as I started thinking about possibly having a church service that no one was at, I began to wrestle in my heart because this is a big message for a big series. And I thought, Lord, I I hate to kind of start the year, um, you know, when no one comes to church, what do I do? And I felt like as I thought about James, I felt like God said, well, why don't you put together like like a prequel message? Um, So like today's like the rogue one of Mood Swingers. Like this is an episode of Mood Swingers, but not part of the real series. And as I put this message together and I began to pray about it and I began to think about it. And as we made a decision for church last night, I was on the phone with my team and I said, guys, I've got this message that I kind of put together just in case, but I really feel like it sets up this series in the direction of our churches here so well that I hate not to preach it. And they were like, man, if, like, if that's what your heart says, go ahead. And our small groups guys changed the notes for this week. Um, our admin team early this morning got in here, printed new notes, changed the bulletins out because I, for some reason, I feel like God wants me to give this message before we get into this Mood Swinger series because emotional health, spiritual health, is nothing more than becoming mature and complete spiritually. It's where we want to head. This year in our church, we're titling Fully Alive. We want this to be the best spiritual year that you've ever had. We want your life to be more fully alive this year than it's ever been. And this year, our theme is to run well. Our theme this year is not to finish the race, but to run the race better than we've ever run it before. And I think James can help us do that. You know, several years ago, I got bored, um, so I decided to go out for a run. I was not a runner. I had never been a runner. I grew up playing sports where you sprinted. You didn't run. So, you know, I, I ran 40-yard dashes. I ran gassers across the field. I, you know, I, I ran line drills in basketball. I ran to first base, but, I, you know, I never, like, just jogged. But I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to run. It's a nice day. I'm going to run. Um, so I ran, like, a mile 
Um, and I got so tired after that mile that I had to walk back um, the mile. But I enjoyed being outside, so I thought, I'm going to do it again. So I ran two or three days. And after running two or three days and working my way up to three miles, which means I got a mile and a half before I had to turn around and start walking the other mile and a half back, I thought, I'm going to register for a marathon. Running's cool. And I went home, and I logged online, and I just typed in marathons. Chicago Marathon popped up. My mom and dad lived just south of Chicago. So I thought, cool, I'll run the Chicago Marathon. So I paid my fee, registered, booked my hotel, and I told Danielle, I'm going to run a marathon. She's like, like, but you don't run. I was like, yeah, but I'm, I'm going to start. So I started running. Um, and like a week into this thing, my feet hurt so bad because I was wearing the wrong kind of tennis shoes that um, I called a friend who ran and I said, man, like I can barely walk. What do I do? And he said, you need to go to like, you need to go to a good store, go to Gary Gribble's running store, have them get you some shoes. If, if you're going to do this, you got to have some good shoes. So I went to the store um, and I told the guy, I said, what do you, what do you need shoes for? I said, I'm going to run a marathon. I said, great. How many miles do you run a week? And I was like, I ran like four last week. He's like, yeah, but like normally. It's like, well, you know, I don't, um, but I'm starting. And he said, okay, um, but you're going to run the Chicago Marathon. And I said, yeah. Um, And he said, all right. Um, And he said, well, let me tell you something. He said, I can't shorten that race for you. 26.2 miles, you got a long, long way to go. I can't shorten the race for you. But he said, I can stretch you out as a runner. Like, I can't shorten your race But I can stretch you out and I can strengthen you as a runner. I can get you the right tools so that you can make it. James doesn't shorten our spiritual race. But he kind of stretches out our ability to run the race well. And as we start a year where we want to try to figure out how we can become more fully alive than we've ever been spiritually, there are tremendous answers in the book of James. And today's kind of a summary of that book. Five things, five developments that I believe if we can have this year in our faith, it won't shorten the race of faith, but it will stretch us out so that we can run better and enjoy the race as we run it. What are the things that James introduces us to? He said, listen, if you want to stretch out your faith and really begin to grow spiritually, you've got to, number one, develop personal interaction with God. You've got to have a life where you have personal interaction with God. In James chapter 1, I won't read you the entire things, but in James chapter 1, James tells us to ask God for stuff, and he tells us to listen to God for direction. We don't get past James chapter 1 where he said, if you want a faith that's mature and complete, you're going to have to learn to ask God for things. James 1, 5, if you lack something, ask God. He'll give it to you. Later on, we drop down to James 1, 20 through 22, and he says, by the way, as you talk to God, he'll talk back, so listen and do what God says. James says, if you want a faith that matures, you've got to begin having personal interaction with God. Let me ask you a few questions. 15 days into 2017, does God make the list of the top three people that you've interacted with this year? Does God make the list of the top 10 people that you've interacted with this year spiritually? Is God on the list at all of people that you interact with spiritually? If some of you are sitting in here today and you don't feel close to God, and you know the reason why? It's because you're not. You're not close to God. You have zero interaction with God on a daily or a weekly basis. But Psalm 145, 18 says this, the Lord is near to all who call on him. Like God gets close to people who interact with him. 
You know, some of you, like me, um, were shut in all weekend because of the massive ice storm that hit our community and shut all the schools down on Friday. Um, So I don't know what you did on your ice day, um, but what I did on my ice day was I did something I haven't done in 20 years. Um, I played Super Mario Brothers all day long. My son got like a, a little app on his phone and said, Dad, this game is awesome. We should buy it. So like we bought the 1985 version of Super Mario Brothers and played it all day long. And let me tell you, I'm still pretty good. Um, like, I, I mean, I can, I can crunch mushrooms and get coins with the best of them. And like, I, you know, I know where all the warp worlds are. Um, I know how to get all the free lives. Um, and all day long, we played Mario Brothers. And like, Christian would die out because he'd never played. And like, I, at one point, I got to the final level to get the princess, like level 8-4. Um, and I had 128 lives left. And like, Christian had been cycling. So he's like, Dad, can I play one of your lives? And I was like, uh, I don't know. And I thought, you know... <laughs> He could probably have one. Um, so we started playing for hours where like, I would get all these lives and I would play. And, then he would, and we'd just pass the remote back and forth. And I would realize every time Christian got like, on one of the fire levels that like, led to the castle at the end, um, as he started getting closer to Bowser, who wanted to kind of crush him and keep him from getting the princess, I realized he was talking to himself. And I thought, what, like, what is he saying? Like, he'd be going through this level, and I would hear him like, murmuring under his breath. We were sitting in my bed, playing on my TV all day long, laying in bed playing Nintendo like a millennial. I mean, it was like an awesome day um, for me. So I'm sitting there playing, forgive me, millennials. <laughs> Not really. Um, but we're sitting there playing, and Christian's talking to himself. And I'm thinking, what is he saying? And I started listening to him, and he was saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Like he, he, was, he was praying the Lord's Prayer. And I said, Christian, like, are, like are, you, are you praying? And he's like, Dad, I need the Lord to help me. I, you know, I got I to gotta defeat Bowser. And I started chuckling, but I thought back to this message, and it was like the Lord said, Christian, don't, don't chastise him. Let him go. Because there are some people in your church who faced way bigger things than Bowser this week. And they didn't even think about praying. So let him at 15 pray over Mario Brothers because when he's 35 and he's worried about his kids, your grandkids, you know what he's going to do? He's going to ask God for help. And when he's 20 and he's on a spring break road trip with friends from college and they're going someplace that he doesn't want to go and he's not spiritually comfortable, you know what he's going to do in the back seat? He's going to begin to pray. So let him pray. Don't ever stop him from calling out to God, even if it's just to save the princess. Like, teach him to talk to God because the Lord is near to people who interact with him. Moses in Deuteronomy 30 tried to teach the people of Israel, you can interact with God. And he said, now what I'm commanding you today, it's not too difficult. Some of you think, I'd love to interact with God. I don't know how. Moses said, it's not too difficult for you. It's not beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven, so you have to ask, well, who can go to heaven and get it and proclaim it to us so we can obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea. So you have to ask, who's going to cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? No, the word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart so that you can obey it. But you've got to begin to interact with God. And some of you have gone an entire week and you faced way bigger things than Bowser. And you didn't stop and say, God, will you help? Will you help me? James says, if you want to mature in your faith, you've got to begin to interact with God. So we gave out last week for 2017 our Bible memory plans. We've got more in the back for you to pick up today. And we've got hundreds of people who have begun to read their Bible through this year. Why? Because when we pray, we talk to God. But when we read, God talks to us. And if we could just 
see this as listening and interacting instead of just reading or studying. We could begin to interact with God in two weeks. In the second uh, message of Mood Swingers, I'll be teaching you how to have kind of a holy 15 to 20 minutes every day where you don't just read your Bible, but you design kind of a place and a pattern at a time where you really can listen from and hear from God. It's going to be unbelievable. But James says you want to mature in your faith, you've got to develop personal interaction with God. Secondly, James says you've got to develop personal action in your spiritual life. You've got to develop personal action in your spiritual life. Look at the last verse of James chapter 1, James 1.27. James says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and as faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You know, James clearly sees Christianity as an active lifestyle, not just a spiritual belief. Like Christianity is not something James has invited into his heart. It's something he's committed his life to. Christianity is not something that exists in James' head. It's something that exists in James' life. And the focus of Christianity as we read through the book of James and just the Bible in general, it's always twofold. First, it's myself. The focus of Christianity is, is always myself. Who is God to me? How can I get to know God more? How can I, how can I be more intimate with God personally? The focus of Christianity should always be drawing close to God, having personal interaction with him. James says, keep yourself from being polluted. The focus of Christianity should always be removing myself further from sin, from habits, from people, from activities that are going to push me away from God or keep me away from God. Like The focus of Christianity is always myself, but the focus of Christianity is always, secondly, others. In James, in James chapter 2 says, he starts in 127 saying Christianity, real Christianity, is serving others and really taking care of yourself spiritually. But then in James chapter 2, he starts talking about serving and he said, here's a big problem I see in the church. There are a lot of Christians who want to serve and are willing to serve really important people who can give them something in return. But there are too many Christians when, when somebody can't give them anything in return, they don't know them they, they don't think they're important. They're unwilling to serve them. And he said, that's the wrong spirit. He said, some of you have people in your church. You're like, just go sit on the floor because you don't think they're important. But when somebody important shows up, like you give them your seat. He said, that's the wrong spirit of serving. He said, a Christian should learn to serve people in their midst like they're kings. Like we should serve everyone in our midst as if they're the most important people in our lives. A lot of you, if we were having some major celebrity, you come be a part of our church, or um, if they started coming to our church, you'd love to work in guest services and be a greeter if somebody you thought was really important was going to walk through your door every day, because that would fill your soul. James says, treat everyone like that. A lot of you would like serve in the nursery if somebody you really think highly of, if their child was in your Sunday school class. Like you would serve every week because you would think you were serving somebody really important. James says you should see every child in that important. Some of you would be ushers. Like if your boss or if your family was coming to church, if somebody really important to you was engaged, James says you need to see everyone is really, really important. The focus of Christianity is always twofold, myself and others. You know, in 2014, you, you might remember our Royals made the World Series and they played the San Francisco Giants in game one at Kauffman Stadium. I had a chance to be there with some of my friends. Um, and you might remember James Shields pitched for us. Madison Bumgardner, curse his name, um, pitched for the Giants in that game. And I remember in the stadium being at that game, um, it really felt like the umpires were being really unfair to James Shields. 
don't know if for those of you who are baseball fans if can remember that game, but like every pitch that seemed in the stadium to be a strike, the umpire would call a ball. And I think Shields eventually, after walking a few people, got frustrated, started throwing it right over the plate. The Giants scored a bunch of runs early. They ended up winning that game, winning the series. And I remember everyone in the stadium saying, you know, what, what's wrong with the umpire? But I had Danielle and the kids TiVo the game, and I went home and watched it afterwards. And I realized that as close as it looked in the stadium to the strike zone, the little box that said this is what a strike is, his pitches were just barely on the outside of it. They were almost strikes. And some of you are living just outside of the strike zone of Christianity. Like some of you in here are so focused on yourself spiritually. Like you're reading your Bible, you're beginning to pray, you're memorizing scripture, you, you, uh, you give in the offering. Like you are really focused on yourself spiritually. But if you don't serve, you are outside the bullseye of Christianity. Like you're outside the heart of what Christianity is. And some of you, your life looks so close to what the heart of Christianity is, but if you're not serving, you're outside the strike zone. And some of you serve like crazy, like you are, you are the heroes of the volunteer team. You showed up on an ice Sunday to scrape sidewalks or to put out flags or to work with kids like you are the greatest volunteer in the history of the world when it comes to serving others, but you never connect with Jesus outside of this place and your spiritual life looks great, but it is outside the strike zone if you're not personally connecting with Jesus. And our goal this year as a church is to put character, personal spiritual character and personal growth together with personal spiritual calling and serving, put those together because we, we want to be in the strike zone. We don't want to do one or the other. We want to be in the heart of the gospel, growing personally and serving others. That's what James says personal action looks like spiritually. You want to be mature and complete spiritually? James says, number three, you've got to begin to take personal responsibility in your daily life. In James chapter 3, he begins to deal with three things. And James says we all have to grow spiritually in three areas. James says if you want to become mature and complete spiritually, number one, you've got to begin taking responsibility for how you see each other. Like there's got to be some personal responsibility for how you view the people in your life, number two, and then how you talk about it, each other. Like there's got to be some personal responsibility in the way you see each other and in the way you talk about each other, number three, and in the way you feel about each other. You got to begin to take some responsibility for that. And I don't know if you have noticed it, but we live in a world that... Um, where there's a lot of kind of friction and tension in how people see each other. We live in a world where there is downright anger in the way people talk about each other. And we live in a world where people haven't really begun to deal with on the inside why they feel the way they feel about each other. I can't tell you how grieved my heart has been the last six months just watching political commentary and, and hearing what's coming out of the mouth of Christians, who God says in James 3 should treat everyone as if they're created in the image of God. That's how Christians should see, talk about, and feel about each other, like they're created in the image of God. And I hear and see some things that Christians say about Hillary Clinton. It's ugly. It's ugly. 
And I see and hear things Christians say about Donald Trump. And it's uglier. And I see what people like and laugh at and smiley face on their social media. And I think this is not the heart of Jesus. This is not the heart of Jesus. And I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about us. And James says, if you want to become mature and complete spiritually, you're going to have to start taking some responsibility for the way you see people. You're going to have to start taking some responsibility for the way you talk about each other. You're going to have to start taking some responsibility about the way you feel about each other. And as we push towards emotional health, this is so important. And I'll be really honest with you. As we push towards community health, I mean, we are so divided as a country right now. I mean, if if we want to push towards health, someone has to be more responsible in the way they see each other, talk about each other, feel about each other, and the things we find funny and post and retweet and just pontificate on. Just stop it and be more responsible as you mature and try to grow in your faith. Because the thing that drives this personal responsibility that we all need to deal with, the fourth development drives the third development. It's personal accountability for our desires. It's time we all start kind of deep down in our heart trying to figure out what it is that's put so much anger, what it is that's put so much angst, what it is that's put so much spite, what it is that allows us to talk about and to enjoy people talking about somebody as hatefully as we despise in other arenas. What is it in us? Look at James 4, 1. It's a strong verse. James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Let me read that again. James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires? You see, we look at the people that we have tension with, and we say, if they... And James says, no, if you, like it's your desire, you've got to begin taking accountability for your desires in the way it's making you see people and talk about each other and feel about each other. And I find this to be a really highly interesting thought coming from James, because I think James had to do this in an extremely humbling situation. You know, when we first meet James in scripture, he is not not only not a follower of his brother Jesus, he's not a believer in his brother Jesus. He's, he's kind of on the outside casting stones at Jesus. The first time we see James and his brothers is in John chapter 7. Jesus has begun his ministry. He's, he's begun to do some ministries, begun to teach some ministries, begun to heal people. And his brothers looked at him kind of cynically and said, you know what, the only reason you're doing this is because you want to become famous. Like they didn't trust his heart And they didn't trust his mission. And they said to him, and in this patriarchal society, when it says the brothers speak, that would always be the oldest brother. So James, it says Jesus' brother said to him, probably James was the mouthpiece. Why don't you leave Galilee? That was Nazareth where Jesus was born and raised. And go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works that you do. Because no one who wants to become a public figure, no one who wants to become famous acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, 
Go show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers didn't believe in him. That was James' posture throughout Jesus' life in ministry. The way he saw Jesus, the way he talked about Jesus, the way he felt about Jesus was not right on the inside. We never see in the life and ministry of Jesus, he and James ever interact again. Only after Jesus has been crucified, buried, and then resurrected, do we hear that he had a conversation with his brother James. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 is kind of telling us about Jesus after his resurrection. And he said he went and talked to his disciples and he went and talked to Peter. And then he appeared to 500 people at once. Some of them are still alive. You can talk to them, even though some of them died. And then he said in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, then he appeared to James. Then he appeared to James. Paul knew about this encounter where one day Jesus showed up, dead, buried, resurrected, and James opened the door and Jesus said, all right, we need to talk. Man, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in that room listening to Jesus and James as James began to take some accountability for why his heart had been so angry, bitter, um, insulting towards his brother Jesus. And I don't know what was said in that meeting, but I know by the time we come out of it, James had so taken personal accountability and responsibility that he becomes the pastor of the church that will start. Let me ask you a question about being accountable, being responsible. What unhealthy desire in your life hurt you most spiritually in 2016? Like when you look at 2016, what what unhealthy desire that you're always chasing kind of held you back or hurt you the most spiritually? James says you want to grow spiritually, you're going to have to take accountability for that. But then I love how James ends his book because James says, look what figuring out these first four things will lead to. See, James says, you want to be mature and complete? Here's what mature and complete faith looks like at the end. The fifth development is you have personal ministry to struggling people. If you turn to the very last two verses of the book of James, James closes his book with this thought. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way is going to save him from death and cover over a multitude of sin. Listen, James starts his book identifying as a follower of Jesus. But he ends his book by identifying as a rescuer for Jesus. You see, James says, here I am and I follow Jesus and I've begun to personally interact with God and I've begun to have personal action in my life spiritually and I've begun to take personal responsibility for for my everyday life and I have begun to be accountable to the desires in me that kind of hurt me spiritually and after I did all those things and my faith became mature, I began to look for other people who needed Jesus like I did. Remember, the focus of Christianity is always twofold, myself, but then others, others. You know, as we get ready to launch this Mood Swinger series next week, we have to ask ourselves, well, why is emotional health so important? Because of the number of emotionally unhealthy people who need help. You know, emotionally unhealthy people can't get help from someone who's as emotionally unhealthy as they are. But when a spiritually sick person can go see someone who has been spiritually healed of things, we can begin to rescue people. Why is living fully alive and not just getting through every day so important? Because there are so many people who are just getting by every day and they're looking for someone who's different. And James says, if you can really mature in your faith, you can go rescue others who are where you are now or where you used to be. 
And as we close today, let me ask you this question because the book of James leads us in this direction. Who in your life needs some personal ministry? Like when you hear James say, if you know anyone who's wandering from the truth, who's that? Who's that in your life? That you're looking and you're thinking, man, they're kind of drifting. Who is that in your life? Can you offer them some hope this year? Can you offer them an invitation this year to this new series that we're getting ready to start? Can you acknowledge, hey, you're drifting a little bit and, man, I I know what it's like. I've been there, but I'm trying to mature in my faith. Why don't you come to church with me this month? Could you offer them an invitation? Because if you'll strengthen your faith, you can help them rescue theirs. That's the message of the book of James. If you will strengthen your faith, you can help other people rescue theirs. But you got to have personal interaction with God. You've got to begin to have some personal action spiritually. Don't live right on the outside of the strike zone. Get in the middle of God's will for you. You've got to begin to take some personal responsibility for your life. You've got to ask the hard questions. Why do I see these people this way? Why do I talk about or really take great joy when others talk about in this way this person or this thing? Why do I feel this way about this group of people? Why do I pray against the Pittsburgh Steelers? Reese, that was awesome when you did that in the welcome, by the way. (laughs) Taking personal accountability for our desires and then ultimately having personal ministry to struggling people. Let me ask you a question. Don't you desire to be mature and complete spiritually? I mean, like I do. I want to be mature and I want to be complete spiritually. You say, man, I wish like we could just be done with it. We can't shorten the race, but we can stretch out the runner. We can strengthen the runner so you can run better, but it's going to take personal conviction. You know the word conviction comes from the word convince. You say, what is conviction? It's when you become convinced that God has taken one part of a message and like he's pressed it on your heart. It's almost like someone poking you in the chest. Conviction is when like something happens that kind of feels heavy on you. It takes personal conviction saying, okay, I'm convinced God's speaking to me in this area. And then it takes a personal commitment saying, all right, I'm convinced God's pressing on me in this area. So I'm going to make a commitment to deal with that. And then it takes personal follow through spiritual action in our life, spiritual responsibility, spiritual accountability. You know what? When that happens in your life, All of a sudden, you find yourself ministering to people who were just like you, who need the exact same health that you now have. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes today as 